Welcome to Women Transcend. I'm Jennifer Todd, and this is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Each episode, we dive into a topic of national or international significance and discuss their particular impact on women and girls and how they are able to overcome or transcend. Whether you are a friend of the pod or a new listener, we're glad you have found us. We bring Women Transcend to you free and without advertising every week. If you like the program, one thing you can do to support Women Transcend is leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. This will help others find us as well. We also encourage you to be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that new episodes will automatically show up in your podcast player each week. Now for today's topic. The goal statement of the UNFPA or United Nations Population Fund is delivering a world where every pregnancy is wanted, every childbirth is safe, and every young person's potential is fulfilled. Pretty lofty goals, but who could argue with that? Children who are born safe into families which welcome them. Every child has the ability to live up to their full potential. And yet, there are plenty of people, it seems, who do not support this wholesome-sounding, idealistic goal To me, it sounds akin to a meatloaf in every oven and a car in every driveway and a safe pregnancy for every woman, but not so. In 2016, the U.S. was the third largest donor to the UNFPA, giving $75 million a year. In 2017, the Trump administration cut all funding, all funding to the UNFPA. The reason they cited was because the UNFPA collaborates with the Chinese government, which, according to some reports, has forced women to undergo sterilization procedures or abortions. The irony, of course, is that UNFPA does not work with the Chinese government at all, but rather with non-governmental organizations within China. So this argument is clearly a straw man for defunding the UNFPA. If human rights violations by China were a reason to defund UNFPA, which works within China, it's curious that the Trump administration recently dropped the human rights violation standard in arms sales. So you can sell weapons, munitions, tanks, bombs, grenades to a country that has violated human rights, but you can't provide health aid to women and children to a country which has reportedly violated human rights. If there were a problem with the Chinese human rights record, one would assume that Mr. Trump would have brought it up with the president of China during his recent visit, maybe during a little light repartee over a golf game at Mar-a-Lago, but he didn't. He didn't discuss it with the president of China because the funding cuts to UNFPA have nothing to do with China. They have nothing to do with human rights violations. They have everything to do with women and patriarchy. The $75 million that the U.S. gave to UNFPA annually generally went to services provided during crises. 
For example, the money went to purchase birthing kits, which are nothing more than a clean tarp and a way to cut the umbilical cord. But women can't have that, not from the United States. Also being cut is outreach and psychological support provided to refugees in Syria who have been victims of gender-based violence. Rape. Cut. Not from the United States. So why does this matter? Well, it inherently does because it means that women will be forced to go without care during childbirth. They will lack access to basic supplies during and after childbirth. And they will lack access to contraceptives. When women control their fertility, they have a small bit of control over their lives. If they can plan their pregnancies, space their pregnancies, or limit the number of children they choose to have, they have more, many more economic opportunities. They can be a part of the formal economy, get a job, contribute to the family, support their children, and help provide better opportunities for their children. But the U.S. will not be a part of this story for women. My guest today is Shannon Kowalski, the Director of Advocacy and Policy for the International Women's Health Coalition. Welcome to Women Transcend Shannon. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad to welcome you. I think that this is an important discussion to have. I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what's going on right now in policy. And more importantly, I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what the United Nations does. So I would really like to talk with you about the proposed or implemented cuts to the United Nations, and in particular to the cuts to the UNFPA, which does family planning, funding, and women's health work. Um, Can you talk about these cuts and how you think women will be impacted? Sure. I, I think it's important to look at these cuts as part of a broader attack on women's reproductive rights and autonomy, both in the United States and globally. Um, the Trump administration has been disorganized, we know, but on this issue in particular, they've had a laser-like focus where they have um, really systematically looked at U.S. foreign assistance um, and the work of U.N. programs and tried to put together a package that would basically take away women's access to sexual and reproductive health care. For UNFPA in particular, um, UNFPA is the UN organization that works on women's health um, and is the largest international provider of contraception, family planning, and reproductive health services globally. It works currently in about 155 countries, and it partners with governments, other UN agencies, and community-based organizations, faith-based organizations, and non-governmental organizations to provide quality sexual and reproductive health care and training, um, as well as advice on policy issues. UNFPA's work is, is particularly critical. One of the areas where they play a leading role is in response to natural disasters, to conflict, um, and to other factors that displace communities. And so they're a big provider of reproductive health services in 
refugee camps and for people who are on the front lines of these kinds of crises. That's really important to note because when people are in conflict zones and, you know, become internally displaced or refugees, they lose access to all care. So in, in a lot of cases, UNFPA may be the only provider of any kind of health care for women. Right. Yeah, for, for the poorest and most marginalized women in the world, UNFPA is a lifeline. And the impact of the cuts, and they are actual cuts, um, the U.S. has provided recently about $72 million a year to the U.N. Population Fund. It has provided a significant amount of that funding specifically for work in refugee camps. And so the cuts are, are going to compromise the UN's ability to provide services to the women who need them most. Yeah. So, for example, one of the things that the U.S. has been doing is providing support in Iraq to women who are survivors of abuses by ISIL. Uh-huh which is really critical work. Yeah. And another thing that they've been doing is in the Zatari refugee camp in Jordan, um, where a lot of Syrian refugees are at the moment, in the past several years, they've delivered over 7,000 babies without a single maternal death. Wow. Um, and this is pretty critical because the women who end up in, in refugee camps are often have compromised health to begin with. And if they did not have access to safe, delivery services that are provided by UNFPA, um, the consequences of giving birth without that would be deadly. And oh, sure. so it's really a, a remarkable achievement. I think, you know, more broadly, the US support that has been provided to UNFPA has given women access to contraceptives that would not otherwise be able to access it. And overall, it's estimated that the support that the UNFPA receives from the US every year prevents about 320,000 pregnancies and averts 100,000 unsafe abortions um, and makes sure that almost a million people have access to contraception. So the loss of this funding from the US is, is not only going to disrupt the work of UNFPA, it's actually going to have a devastating impact on women and their ability to control their lives, essentially. Yeah. And let me just go back. $72 million was the contribution by the United States to the UNFPA. That is a vanishingly small number. If you think about the impact that that funding has for the life of women and their families and their societies. Right. It's a small amount of money and it has a massive impact. Repeatedly, we have seen um, evidence that shows that investing in family planning is one of the most cost-effective interventions that governments can invest in for the benefits of society. Uh -huh. And that the return on that investment is somewhere up for every dollar invested, there's a $140 return, especially in the poorest countries, because of the impacts on women's health, because of the impacts on um their ability to participate in society and to earn an income, um, the benefits to their family also has an impact on, on their children's ability to survive and thrive and complete educations. And so this is one of the best investments that the U.S. government can make. Um, and to just stop this funding for UNFPA and for family planning and reproductive health um, overall is it's short-sighted. Very, extremely. And we're talking about providing services. It's not like these women would have loads of options. 
or the resources, you know, to go to the doctor and get a prescription or run down to the drugstore. These are women that are alienated from any kind of infrastructure or establishment or resources or services. So this is a kind of literally taking away a lifeline in, in a, a manner of speaking. That's right. In many of the places where UNFPA operates, they're the only health provider around. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about what we refer to as the global gag rule? Sure. The global gag rule is a rule that prevents foreign non-governmental organizations who receive funding for health from the U.S. government for using their own money to counsel women on abortion, to um, provide abortion services, to provide referrals for abortion, or to do advocacy or any other awareness raising or information sharing work that would expand access to safe abortions. And so this is a rule that Republican administrations have traditionally um, put in place when they've been in, in power. It's an executive order. And it's in the past, it's been applied to family planning funding from the US government, which is about $600 million worth of funding a year. The Trump administration has taken this bad policy and has made it worse by expanding it to all of the global health funding that the U.S. government provides, which is currently about $9 billion in funding a year. Wow. And what they um, have done is basically put healthcare providers in a catch-22 situation. Yeah. Either they can provide comprehensive care and forego U.S. funding, which in many cases may disrupt their services altogether, or they could decide that they're going to be poor healthcare providers and not provide information to women that they need in order to, you know, make informed decisions about their pregnancies and, and whether or not to continue them. Yeah. And so we know that when this has been implemented under prior administrations, it's had a very, it's have had a devastating impact on women and girls, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa and in the countries where U.S. funding um, is particularly high. What we expect as a result of this is that instead of preventing abortion, which is the stated reason for this policy by the Trump administration, um, is that it will actually have the opposite effect. Because what it will do, um, similar to the impact on UNFPA of cutting funding to UNFPA, but what this will do is it will um, result in the closure or scale back of services that are currently supported by the U.S. government in many places where, again, these service providers are the only providers. Uh -huh. And it is going to mean that women are, are once again cut off from accessing um, contraceptives and will experience more unintended pregnancies and, as a result, will seek more abortions, most of them likely to be unsafe, um, and it will result in, in more maternal deaths. Yeah. And not just from unsafe abortion, but from other um, pregnancy and, and delivery-related causes. So again, you know, it's a short-sighted policy. It's a policy that's going to be devastating. And I think that given the scale at which this is being implemented now, it's really hard to imagine just how more damaging um, it will be this time than it has been in the past. Yeah. 
Now, just for clarification, this is not preventing funding of abortions. This is preventing agencies or organizations that provide counseling or abortion services or alternatives counseling with their own money from receiving any U.S. dollars. That's right. So the U.S. government hasn't funded abortion services um, for decades. And the reason why it hasn't is because there's another amendment called the Helms Amendment, which is a, a legislative amendment that's included in funding appropriations bills that prevent U.S. government funding being spent on abortion as a method of family planning. Uh So this global gag rule is not going to cut off money for abortion because the U.S. was never funding abortion. Exactly. It's funding for contraceptives, for maternal health services, for HIV, for malaria, you know, other kinds of health interventions that the U.S. government is funding. Um, If these healthcare providers also do work on abortion, then they'll either have to forego the money or stop their work on abortion. Uh Uh-huh. And this is women who are are living on the global margins. They're the neediest of our women, the poorest of the poor. Yes. So let me give you an example. We have a partner in um, Western Kenya in an area called Kusumu, called the Kusumu Medical and Education Trust. And it's a town that's on the Great Lakes in in the middle of Africa. Uh, It's fairly isolated from the rest of the country. And our partner, KMET, has done a really great job over the last several years of establishing these small family planning clinics throughout the region. And they've established 112 of these, which give access to contraceptives to women who would not otherwise be able to get to them because of geographic barriers, because of cost barriers, or other factors that prevent them from using contraceptives. And so KMET, um, this organization, also does work on unsafe abortion, which is a major killer of women in Western Kenya, one of the leading causes of death, in fact, Um, particularly amongst young women and adolescent girls. And they have been doing work to train um, providers on how to provide safe abortion services. Abortion is legal in Kenya. Um, And they have also been working with the local government to develop policies that would increase access to safe abortion. Um, And ethically, they do not think that this is something that they can stop, given the magnitude of unsafe abortions and the devastating consequences that they have had in that region. So they're going to be losing more than half of their budget because they're not going to sign the global gag rule to continue this work providing contraceptive services throughout the region. And unless they're able to find additional funding um, from another source, a lot of these services are going to have to close and a lot of women um, are, are going to be once again cut off from receiving these critical family planning services. Yeah. So thinking about this, family planning contraception has been sort of under fire in this country. But by the way, abortion is legal in this country as well. That's Um, right. But contraception has been criticized under fire. I don't know what the right word is, but the conservative part of our country, of the the United States, has been actively fighting access to contraception, misinforming women about what it is, and then something like this, which has global ramifications for women. And I can't help but just wonder, I'm just 
knocking this around in my head. If the real reason behind this is taking agency from women. I think you've hit the nail on the head, Jennifer. I I think that the fact that they are targeting contraception, which is critical for women's ability to control their lives, to complete educations, to work, is really indicative of the fact that this is not about preventing abortion at all. This is about preventing women from taking control of their lives and participating actively in society. It's about controlling women. Yes. I agree. And we know from economists, from years and years of very good research, that the best way to end poverty in the third world, the global south, is to educate women. And how can we educate women if they are home taking care of kids? So not that I have anything against kids, but if we can't control our fertility, then you take away a woman's agency. That's exactly right. Uh Uh-huh. And it also takes away the ability of the global south to economically recover or develop or advance. Right. That's right. As I was saying earlier, for development, investment in family planning is the the single best thing that governments can do. Uh And actually, there was just um, research released last week that also said that family planning and investing in women's education, the two combined, was one of the best things that we could do to address climate change. Interesting. That's an interesting twist. Investing in contraceptives and um, sexual and reproductive health does not just have benefits for the women themselves. It has benefits for their families, for their communities, for their societies and their countries. And, you know, ultimately, all of us when it comes to things like climate change, addressing climate change. Uh Uh-huh. That's fascinating. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you for adding that. Um, Have we missed anything I I think one of the things that's important for us is to not just be complacent and accept these cuts. We all have a responsibility to push back against the Trump administration and to try and prevent these things from happening. The Trump administration just released their first budget. And one of the things that they proposed to do was to cut global health spending by $2 billion, more than $2 billion, um, and completely eliminate all funding for family planning and reproductive health. Obviously, even with the global gag rule restrictions, this funding is important. It does have an impact on people's lives. It does have an impact on women. And so those kinds of cuts, again, are going to be devastating because we there are 26 million women globally now that rely on U.S. government funding for access to contraceptives. Uh, so cutting that off overnight is going to be devastating, and there's no other donor that's going to be able to come in and fill that gap. So one of the things that we need to do right now is to work with Congress um, and to put pressure on our senators and representatives to make sure that they appropriate funding for family planning and reproductive health and for reproductive health globally when they are doing the budget for financial year 2018. The other thing that would be useful is that in the Senate, Senator Jean Shaheen and in the House, Congresswoman Nita Lowy have introduced bills called the HER Act, which would be a bill that would prohibit presidents from coming in and um, putting in place policies like the global gag rule. 
And so encouraging senators and congressional representatives to support that legislation and take it forward um, is another thing that people can do at this stage. So it would kind of force some stabilization in the budget from year to year. Right. It would prevent U.S. policy on sexual and reproductive health and, and family planning from being at the whim of whoever is in the White House. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And again, I think there's this misunderstanding and people think that we're giving, you know, and, and there's good research behind this, that if you ask a person on the street, how much of our budget, how much of our GDP or GNP goes to international aid, people think it's like 30%. And it's vanishingly small. The no, The percentage that we give is minuscule, especially in comparison to what other countries give in proportion to their GDP. Right. So the thought that, oh, this is the way that we will balance our budget. Now, these are tiny numbers. They're not going to do anything to balance the budget or diminish our debt. It's just going to hurt women. And we, like you said, we, we just need to be really loud about it. We need to educate ourselves and we need to educate others about what this really means for women and for families, for, for everyone, if women lose their agency. And that's what this is. And not just internationally, it's happening here in the United States as well. So this is truly alarming. It's hard not to get frustrated by this, but I think really right now, frustration is the place we need to be. Right. I, I think it, we all have to fight this um, together. And uh, the mobilization of women against the horrible policies of, of this administration is really heartening. We need to keep it up. Yeah. Great. Well, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me, Shannon, for Women Transcend and also for all of the great work that you do. I thank you for that. Hopefully, we'll just get some conversation started about what it means to be a responsible nation state and how we are responsible for our neighbors. But thank you very much for taking your time and lending your expertise on this issue. Thank you. It was a pleasure. This episode's Woman in the Spotlight is Cecile Richards. Cecile has been the president of Planned Parenthood since 2006. She is the daughter of former Texas Governor Ann Richards and has spent most of her life as an activist for women. She has been at the forefront of the fight for women's reproductive health rights for well over a decade. She famously said, it's better to be a corporation today than to be a woman in front of the Supreme Court. For her remarkable efforts on behalf of women, we thank Cecile Richards. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. You can do us a big favor and tell at least one other person about our podcast and how to find us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you can be sure you won't miss an episode. It will automatically show up in your podcast player. A big thanks to Shannon Kowalski for speaking with me for today's very powerful episode and to John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry. 
so that we sound so good. Tweet us at Women Transcend or follow us on Facebook. We always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode. 